For many, right now feels upside down, and uncertainty is constantly swirling. Normal is this windstorm ever shifting, and it doesn't look like circumstances will calm anytime soon. But what if the change that we need is not our setting, but our sight? Not the external, but the internal. Not our fears, but our focus. First Peter is a letter, a banner, a compass, infusing steel in the spines of people in hardship, anchoring us in the reality that hope lies ahead. Well, good morning, Rise City Church. You guys happen to be here this morning? Oh, fired up. I like it. Hey, turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. My name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at Rise, and I love getting to open the word together, the joy of gathering together with the saints and sitting under the teaching of the word. It is just a beautiful thing to do over and over. Um, but every once in a while, do you ever wake up in this season and be like, man, is this like, is this the end? Like, can we just be real? Like, do you ever just like, you pull out your phone and you're like, you just start scrolling and you're like, I like, I don't know what the end times are, but I think this is it, you know? Like, I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis is headed for an asteroid right now. Like, something, like, and if he doesn't drill through that, like, there's a disaster, right? And so, here's what's crazy, okay? So, we, we come to our passage today, and I just want you to see this, okay? We're going to be reading in, in 1 Peter 4, and in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7, it says, the end of all things that is, is at hand. You're like, come on, Pete, you know? Like, really? Like, like this is what we're getting into? Like, we're going to start, like, exploring all these different details and what's happening, and so, you know what we're starting with tonight, or this morning? You know what we're doing? The end times. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Oh, fired up. I like it. I like it. Okay. So um, here's what we need to know as believers, okay? We actually need to be aware because this is something that Jesus explored and he, he taught on. Um, and this is something that, that, that the apostles prepared us for. So uh, some of you guys are like, I've been waiting for this moment. You got your charts ready. You're, you're like, we're going to be out in the lobby. It's going to be awesome. We, we got some dates. We're going to do some countdowns. It's going to be fantastic. But uh, okay, he, here's what we're going to look at. All right. So the disciples asked Jesus a question about the end. And this is what Jesus says. So I want to read this, and I want to explore this a little bit, okay? Matthew 24, this gives us context to our passage here in 1 Peter. Matthew 24, verse 5, Jesus answers, and he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then he continues on. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. He says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so here's some signs that Jesus gives about we are nearing the end. Okay, uh, increase in false saviors. 
also uh, Christ or Messiahs, right? So, so people that, that we're turning to and like, this is who we need to save us, you know? Like we put their names on flags and we go to rallies and like, okay, there's gonna be an increase of that kind of stuff, right? T- uh, two little chuckles on that. Okay, all right, increase, ooh, feeling it already. Here we go, okay, increase in conflict, okay? We can skip that one, that's fine. Increase in famine, right? Okay, like we aren't quite there yet, you know, unless you go shopping on a regular basis. In- increase in famine, increase in plagues or, or diseases or, or, or spreading. Okay, increase in natural uh, disasters. I'm so glad we're not in, California is gonna have the end times, but we're okay so far in Oregon. Okay, we had a good summer. Increase in people turning from the faith. Um, and then lastly and most helpful, uh, increase and in really the accomplishment of the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this list and I'm like, okay, <laughs> right? right? So like what, like, well, like, what do we do? So I, I have some suggestions for you, okay? So if this is the end, like what do we do? Okay, first, number one, uh, you need to start ch- charting things out right? Because Jesus said once we crack the code, he's going to come back. Now, like, we just need to look like this, right? This is us right here. We need our, like, sign, okay, this, and there's this mountain here, and then this date, and so, you know, and so that's what we're going to start doing as a church, uh, we're going to figure out a date. We're going to we're going to be giving left behind books out on your way out. Kirk Cameron is coming. He's going to sign your Bibles. It's going to be amazing. It'll be wonderful. Uh, number two, go hide in the mountains. Right? That's what we should do. Go, you know, hey, go leave, go move to the red state because nothing says I trust God quite like I need to be around people who all agree with me. Right? Okay. Yeah. You see, I can offend people on that one. Here's why: because y'all stayed. Right? <laughs> Like we are, like we're Oregon, like we, like we are riding, we, we are saying we are going to be, like, we're going to reach, and if you're, like, if you're offended by that, it's because you're leaving, so you won't be offended that long, right? <laughs> I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Okay, number three. Some of you guys are like, I will not be coming back next week, right? <laughs> our, other, our better preachers preaching next week, it'll be great. Come, experience it, okay? Uh, number three, start labeling everything the Antichrist, because if you just throw a thousand arrows, you're bound to hit something, you know what I'm saying? So we just need to clear the air. Like, get all of this, okay? So um, let, let's close our Bibles and, and pray, Lord Jesus, right? Okay, so obviously, like, I'm being a little sarcastic here. And if you know me, you're, uh, he's a little snarky. Here's why, okay? Because as a Christian, our, our time it, it is not to be spent charting, hiding, and witch hunting, Amen. Like, our time is to be spent living with purpose. You know what the book of Revelation, okay, where God reveals to John, he, he says, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the end. You know how the book of Revelation ends with Jesus saying, I'm coming back, and John saying, come, Jesus, come. That is supposed to be our posture, that we have a king who rules and reigns, and we are waiting for him to come back. And what we need to be doing is we need to be living prepared lives. And how do we live prepared lives? By living lives of purpose now. It's not about running. It's not about hiding. It's not about cowering in fear. It's about being the people of Jesus and the presence of Jesus in our community in times such as this. This is why it matters that we would have a perspective on the end because we know who wins and we know who reigns and we know who rules and therefore We should be a people whose lives are marked by incredible love, incredible purpose, incredible hospitality, incredible faith, incredible self-control. And this is what Peter speaks to. 
So pick it up. 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what do we do? Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. You guys, if this is the end, we need to live like these moments matter more than ever. So let's pray as we come to the word. Lord, you so divinely inspired the Apostle Peter to speak these words to a group of believers who were living in fear. They were feeling isolated, they were feeling disconnected, they were feeling beat down, they were feeling alone, and they didn't know what to do. And it's so beautiful what you called them to. You called them to live with purpose. Radical love. You called them to use their gifts to serve one another in their church. You called them to be hospitable. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage today, would you open our hearts, and when you open our minds, and when you shape our lives, that, that as the heat turns up around us, you would use it to harden our hands for the work that you have ahead, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. So, so, so we're, we're going to look at this section, and we're just going to break this down little by little and say, okay, as followers of Jesus, what, what do we do? Because Peter, in, in all of these, whenever you're reading an epistle, um, there's a typical layout where, where the beginning is like, hey, here's who God is and what God has done. And then you start moving into the, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, what he has done in your life, this is how you should then live. And so this, this is a section where we're getting to, uh, okay, this is then how you should live. And I just want to look at these, okay? So here's the first idea is that hope-filled people, they're self-controlled, okay? And, and, here's, and here's what I mean. Paul writes to Timothy, and he, he's writing this letter to this young pastor, and he explains, and he uses this beautiful explanation about how you are not to be filled with fear, and, and he says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power, of love, and of self-control, okay? So this idea of self-control, it's not something that comes within you, okay? It's a little bit ironic because the word is self-control, like I need to control myself, but what it means is I need to be a person who surrenders to the spirit that is already in me. See, there's a battle, right? You, you feel it. When you're making a decision, there's this tension, and the battle is between what the Spirit is calling you to and what the flesh in you desires. And what he's saying here is as followers of Jesus, we surrender to the Spirit's movement in our lives. And if we do, what do our lives look like? Well, first of all, they're they're incredibly powerful. We, We have power to face today. We have power to face the challenges, not power that is you, not believe in yourself, kind of floppy, worthless power, but the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. 
This is the power of scripture. Power, we have a spirit that calls us to what? To love, right? Like we don't wanna love right now. We wanna be right. We wanna win. Nope, that's not what a follower of Jesus is called to. That's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. The, the spirit is, God has given you a spirit of love. And lastly, of self-control, that we could walk in this way. See, the, the beginning of this chapter, he gives a little bit more of an explanation. He, he says, verses three through four, I want to read the NLT translation because I think it's actually fantastic for this section. It says, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. He, he goes through this list and he's like, hey, like, I, like bro, I knew you, right? Like, I, I know what you were like in high school. Like, I know Pledge Week. Like, I know, I know these men, some of you guys are like laughing and some of you guys are like, I'm not reacting to this at all. Like, <laughs> you power, power through. I see the sweat on your forehead. Don't worry. It's okay. Jesus sees you too, okay? He loves you. He, he paid for that. But Peter is like, no, no, no. I know the way you used to live. Of course, your former friends, they're surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. What Peter's saying, he's like, I know who you were, but that's not you anymore. Like Jesus saved you and he called you out and he put a new spirit in you. You know, here's what's incredible though, okay? Um, I, as we've been, you know, moving as a church the last seven and a half years, there's a particular group that I've noticed have become, uh, they are just the most incredible evangelists in our church. You know who they are? Um, they, were the, they were those who grew up in this area, so already know so many people, and they were the partiers, right? They were the, they know everybody, like you go out with them and like everybody's coming up to them. They got all these nicknames and they're kind of like almost like sheepishly like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, no, not anymore. That's my pastor. Okay. Like, you know, like, you know, those moments, right? Okay. But here's what's incredible. These are the people who I've just seen transform our church and transform our city are, are the ones who used to live that life, but don't live that life anymore yet still are deeply connected you haven't abandoned your friends, but you've abandoned your ways. And, and here's what happens. At first, they're like, they write you off. Like, now, like I, like, I know you. Like, I know the life that you live. But eventually, they're the ones coming to you because you're living with hope and purpose. Here's what I want you to hear. Like, your past does not disqualify you for ministry. Like, Jesus, you know what he does with things? He resurrects them. He, he pulls them out. He uses them. And so there's things that you think are preventing you from being used by God. Those are the very things that he wants to redeem and use in your life if you would but let him. But you have to live different. You have to live self-controlled. My wife and I, we were hanging out with this couple uh, this week. And, and like everybody was coming up to them. Like you could tell they were just like the couple, right? We don't know a lot about them. They're, they're new. The gal, she was sharing her story about how, uh, how Jesus has saved her recently, sharing her story about getting baptized here at Rise, the way that God is moving in her life and, the, and all these beautiful things. And they're coming to church together and, and he's not there yet. And she looks at me, she's like, you get him baptized, you get him baptized, you're gonna flip this city upside down, right? So what do I do? I'm a pastor, I take the opportunity. 
like I reach into somebody's margarita, I get it wet, and I splash, right? <laughs> right? I'm like, this is good. Now, the problem is, like, I'm, you know, I, I, I baptize by full immersion because I followed a Jesus, not a pope, right? So, like, we, you know, we go, we go all the way in, and luckily for him, they didn't have margarita glasses big enough for full immersion at that moment, but we're going to go after him, right? Because Jesus has his, he has his sights set on him. He has a plan and a purpose. That is you. I need you to know that. Like, Jesus wants to use you. Your old ways, you're done with them. Now you're filled with the Spirit and you're living in a different way. God wants to use you, but he wants to change you first. See, God is always in the habit. This is how he works. He always does something in us before he does something through us. And so we need to look at our lives and say, look, that's not me anymore. Yeah, some, some of the old habits, some of the old addictions, like you've actually been set free. Like God has unlocked the prison and opened the door. You just have to walk out of it if you would let the spirit move in you. So we need hope-filled people are people who are self-controlled. Second, hope-filled people are sober-minded Meaning we need to have clear judgment about what we're observing. When we see the world around us, when we see what's happening, we need a biblical, gospel-centered worldview that fills us with hope and promise and strength for today. See, to be sober-minded is a mind that is not intoxicated. And we have just become drunk off news and media and scare tactics and conspiracy theories. Like they, and you know what they're doing? They're preaching bad theology to you about who God is and how the world is going. And, and we're listening. You guys, we're, we're being discipled by these things. And, and the problem with being intoxicated, not sober-minded, is our judgment is impaired. We can no longer see the difference between truth and lies. We can no longer see the difference between what we're called to and what we're feeling compelled by in our flesh. We, we can't think straight. See, the way we view ourselves and others, suffering and spirituality, disease and disaster, good and evil, it's either being shaped by God's truth or it's being distorted by the world's lies. And, and so many of us, if we're honest, if we look, like, are we consuming more of the world's lies just because we agree with them or we like how it makes us feel than we are the truth and conviction of God? And this is what Peter is getting at. He's like, man, like, you need to be sober-minded. You need to think about what is influencing you. Because so many of us, like, we're just, we're, we're consuming spiritual junk food constantly. A couple years ago, I was, uh, so when I, when, when I, a little bit about my personality is I'm, I'm pretty, like, ADD, so I can't, like, stay. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, yeah, you can't even stay still, right? Deal with it, okay? I, I can't stay and work in one spot for, like, more than a couple hours, so I'm, like, always moving around from a coffee shop to an office to my house, like, all, all these different places. It's just kind of, like, how I'm wired, and it's, like, a fresh start. So um, I, I will uh, go to all these different places and, and zoom around and, and, you know, really enjoy it. So, so I was at this coffee shop, and I saw... I saw this donut in a case, and I was like, I, like, that, like, that looks good, but like, I know where that's from, and I want to go to the source, okay? Now, if you like, come and visit the Portland area, like, donuts are like a big thing, and, and people go. There's two primary donut shops people go to. They, they either go to Voodoo Donuts because they want that like, weird, like, I'm going to get you know, stabbed experience you know, of like, a Voodoo Donuts, right? 
<laughs> or, or you go to Blue Star because you're like, I would love to pay $7.50 for, you know, for a, you know, a glaze or a maple, right? Like, and so it, people like, come to this and they, they get their little boxes and they, they, you know, they fly. Do we still have an airport? I don't even know. Okay, they fly out of Portland, right? But if you're from this area and you have roots in this area or you've been here a while, like you know there's a place that supersedes all of those, right? Yeah, it's called Joe's Donuts. Oh, 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 yes, I, feel, I felt a healing in the room just happened. That was amazing. Wow, that was beautiful, right? It's just like, you know, like, we, like we, and we're in this beautiful pocket. You know, people are like, oh, why do you live on the east side? You're like, because, like, I can get to the coast easily. Like, if I want entertainment or go to a basketball game, I can go downtown. Or, like, I'm close to Joe's Donuts out that way. Like, it's just, it, like, people move to this area once you experience it. So, so I don't buy this, this donut in the coffee shop. I go to Sandy and I go to Joe's Donuts. And I don't just get the maple bar. I want the cream-filled maple bar. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Like, I feel like we're, like, like honoring sin a little too much right now. But that's all right. We'll go, we'll go to the response room afterwards and confess. But so, uh, but, but I don't want to sit there. Like, I'm very particular about like a, like a quality meal like that. It's about like the ambiance and everything like that. So I'm like, I'm going to go home. And so I get home and then as soon as I'm about to walk in the door, I'm like, oh yeah, I have kids. I forget, right? So, so what do I do? I do what a good father does. I hide the donut behind my Bible, you know? And then I go in my office and I'm like, daddy needs to work. And I close the door and they're like knocking. I'm like, daddy needs to work, right? I get a plate. I plate it. Right, I, I make like an iced, I have like an iced latte, like everything. And then like, I just like, the first bite, it's just Shekinah glory, right? It's just, it's like holding a baby for the first time. It's the first moment you fell in love, right? It's watching a, you know, a game winning like fourth quarter shot. Like it's just like, you, it, there's just something that happens in you. And I'm like, and then I, like, I kid you not, like I start like writing the most incredible sermon. Like it just like opens up. I'm like, I have all this energy and all this passion. 30 minutes later, two hour nap. I kid you not. Like my whole day is like ruined. Like I wake up from the, the nap just like lethargic. Like I don't even remember like where I live anymore. Like there's all these things that, like, why, right? Why? Like, because, like, it tastes incredible. It tastes incredible. But, like, that's not going to sustain you. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, here's the thing. Like, so many of us, like, we are consuming spiritual junk food and wondering why we're spiritually malnourished. Like, we need to be a people that, that, that our, our minds are sustained by the truths of God's word. Like the garbage will not, the garbage of the world will not sustain you through the trials of the world. Like we need God's word. Look at this. I want you to see this quote by this guy named Henry Nouwen, okay? He was a priest and he was a theologian. He's a professor at Notre Dame and Yale and Harvard. And he was doing all these things. And then he was, he was officiating a wedding up in Canada. And he went and visited this, this community that cared for people with physical and mental disabilities. And while he's there just visiting, like hanging out, one of their patients gets hit by a car from another family that's visiting, okay? And, and, and the patient survives, but he walks through this process with all the families, and he just, he just like embraces it, and he just starts showing them love and grace, so much so that they look at him, and they're like, we don't know who you are, but we would like you to come be a priest for our community. And he ends up doing, living in that community, 
community with, with these mental and physically handicapped individuals for the last 10 years of his life until he passes away. He's just an incredible man. This is what he says. I need you to see this. He says, you have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. The world tells you many lies about who you are, and you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself these feelings, strong as they may be, they are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting embrace. This is what it means to be sober-minded. It means to be so deeply rooted in the gospel that our identity, our security, Our foundation and our faith is all rooted in who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and therefore who that makes us. This is what it means to be sober-minded in this world. And this is why Peter says all of these two things here, self-controlled and sober-minded, they're for the sake of our prayers. Because you want to change your prayer life, change your understanding of the Father's love for you and his sovereign hand of control over everything around us. And you will pray differently. We are to be a people not marked by fear, but by faith in a God who deeply and dearly loves us, and a God who is much bigger than the problems we face. And he moves on in verse 8, he says, above all, keep love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. See, hope-filled people, they love earnestly. Uh, the word there, earnestly, it means, to, it means stretched out. It means there's no slack. You are stretching with all your might. You are putting effort to love those around us. See, we need to fight to love in a season like this because enduring love for others, it testifies that a person is living in light of the future. No, 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 that my hope is not in this issue or this problem or that person. It's in Jesus and it's in eternity. And when we live that way, we can, we, we're able to love so differently. And I just want to look at the difference between what a life lacking love versus a, love, a life filled where it's loving earnestly is. A couple, couple things here, okay? First, lacking love. Like every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding. You're in a constant state of conflict and tension. You thrive at bringing up areas that they fall short. Like, are you feeling that in any of your relationships right now? You're like, man, this person just drives me crazy. Like, I, I just need the right opportunity to list out all the ways that they have wronged me and wounded me. See, if love covers a multitude of sins, then lacking love exposes a multitude of shortcomings. And some of us, like, we're doing that right now. Like, we are exposing in people, any opportunity we have, like, hey, here's how you let me down this week. In our marriages, in our friendships, in our families. Some of you guys are on the, on the raw end of this, and you're like, man, yeah, I, I'm feeling that. But as followers of Jesus, we have to, we're being reminded here, this is not how we're to love, especially in a season like this. 
We're to love earnestly. What does earnest love look like? It's this, again, straining to love, stretching yourself to love them. You work hard to show and remind someone that they are loved just the way they are. Not, hey, I'm going to love you once you put yourself together. I'm going to love you once you stop doing this. Because this is the kind of love that changes. This is the kind of love that we receive from God. Like God loves us just the way we are. He loves us too much to leave us that way. But he didn't come to us, and he doesn't draw, he, he doesn't draw us to him once we have our lives put together and fixed. It says, while we were still sinners, while that relationship was still broken, Christ died for us. Uh, many small offenses, even some larger ones, they're readily overlooked and forgotten. You know what this means? It means you don't keep the list. Like some of you guys, you have that list that you're just waiting for them to screw up again. What, what loving earnestly means is like you, cr- you need to crumble that list up and throw it away. Whether that's physically or in your heart. That's what earnest love looks like. You seek to see, speak, and highlight the best of who they are and what they do. Like this is, you guys, this is Christ-like love. This is what he did for us. He stretched himself fully. He loves us radically. He loves us in a way that changes us and shapes us. And so we aren't to be a people who are walking around looking at everybody else's, like, like, like you get that people are flawed, right? Like they're imperfect. Like as are we. So stop trying to put this expectation on them as if they should be. And maybe if you started loving them with the love of Christ, it would shape them and mold them into who God is trying to make them to be. This is, what, this is the power of love. See, here's the thing. You have no idea how one small act of love, how one word of encouragement can shape someone's life and change their direction. Like, you and I, we've had those moments, haven't we? Where someone loved us when we didn't deserve it. Where someone spoke truth into our life when we didn't deserve it. And, and it shaped us and, and, and molded us. And you have no idea. So there's this, uh, there's this pastor that has been really influential on me. His, his name's Craig Rochelle, okay? And uh, he, he leads a, a whole bunch of churches, but one of the reasons he is, he's been so influential is he, he loves the local church, right? And so um, together with, you know, some of our different ministry leaders, we'll watch some of his uh, talks on what, what biblical leadership is and what it looks like. And, and, and he's just had a massive influence on me personally, right? And so, um, it, but he's also like, he, he's like in his 50s and he's just like yoked out of his mind. You're like, like you know, like buff grandpa, you know, like that guy is just like awesome. And so, um, so I was visiting, my wife and I, we were, we were in Colorado and I was visiting my brother-in-law and, and we went to this, inc- like there was this incredible, in Colorado Springs, there was this ma- like this beautiful, massive um, hotel and we're like walking around it and it's got a pond in the middle. And I mean, it's just this huge campus and water slides and all this stuff, right? We weren't staying there. We were just like sneaking in and like walking around, right? Okay. So we're walking around. I'm walking with my, you know, wife and kids and, and family. And then I was like, I, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to go off this way to go to the bathroom. So, so I leave them. They keep going and I walk this way. And then, I, then this door opens, 
And out walks Craig Rochelle and his wife and, and two, two of his, he has like six kids. He has like a basketball team and a sub. Like, but two of them, they walk, you know, they, they walk out. And like, I'm not that guy who's like, oh yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I literally see him make eye contact and walk straight up to him. And I'm like, Pastor Craig, you know? And he's like, hey, like, and so we sit and we have this like, and I'm like, like, like I, would ma- I would rather meet this dude than like Michael Jordan, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like a moment for me, you know? And so I'm like, I'm like a little like, like I'm ner- like nervous, shaky, you know? Like, I'm really calm. My, you know, my voice gets high. Like, he's like, are you a 12 year old? Like, do I need to like sign your shoes? Like, you know, so I'm having this conversation, right? And, uh, you know, he's asking about, I, I tell, like, I, I'm like a church planner. I'm telling about Rise and all this kind of stuff and the influence. And he looks at me, he just says this small phrase. And, like, he looks at me, he's like, oh, you're pretty fit for a church planner. And I'm like, whew, <laughs> sweating, you know, right? And, uh, you know, and we're, we keep going. And, and then, like, I get, we have this, like, five-minute conversation. I leave. And, uh, my, you know, my wife is like, and I'm like, I, you won't guess who I just met, Craig Gershon. She's, like, very excited for me. She's like, what do you say? And like, you'd think I'd talk about church or this. I was like, he said I'm pretty fit for a church planner, right? <laughs> he, even, he even caveated it with like, for a church planner, you know? Like, you, you've been eating those cream-filled donuts too much, right? Uh, I kid you not, like, I'm on vacation. We're in Colorado Springs. I signed up for a gym in Colorado Springs that night just so I could work out that week. I was like, hey, Craig said I'm fit. Like, I'm fit, right? Like, you know, I got to, like, it, like, literally, your words, they can shape people. Like, literally, like, <laughs> that donut illustration was a couple years ago. Now I have self-control. Like, I'm a, I'm a Christian now, right? Okay. But like you have no idea how one small, I know that's like the shallowest example, but this is the end times, okay? So uh, one small word of love and encouragement can speak truth into somebody's life and influence and shape. Like this is what Peter is getting at. We are to be a people who love earnestly. And then he continues on verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We should be, see, hope-filled people show hospitality. Uh, hospitality, the word, it means to show love to a stranger or a guest. And, and why, like, why is it so important in a season like this? Because people are isolated and alone. You know what, what I think the most powerful evangelistic tool in this day and age is? I think it's your dinner table. Man, like, invite people in. Like, make space to share a meal together. There's been a shift over the last 50, 70 years where the center of the home was the dining room and 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 the dining table, and it shifted to the family room and the TV. And what I'm saying is, as followers of Jesus, we have a powerful opportunity to say, no, 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 it is not about what we, uh, what we're being fed, it's about how we're feeding others. It's not about what we're consuming and being entertained with. It's how we are showing hospitality to others. What is hope-filled hospitality? It's inviting in the outsider, welcoming unbelievers into our space in hopes of bringing Jesus into theirs. This is what Peter is getting at. He's like, hey, like, this is the end of all things. Share meals. This is the end of all things. Welcome the stranger in. And so for us as a church, you guys, we're like, we are going to be a hospitable church, both corporately and individually. 
in, in three areas, just real quick, that we're going to show hospitality towards others. First, we're going to show hospitality towards each other. Like, we're going to be hospitable to each other. And I, can I just offer you an encouragement? You know who most often gets invited uh, for opportunities of, of hospitality? It's people who are already seen. Like, you're like, man, I want to, like, that person. Like, I want to spend time with them. I, like, the, honestly, like, those are not the people who you need to show hospitality to. You need to show hospitality to those who are most unknown. And so you find yourself being like, man, that, that person is just kind of like, like sitting in the corner by themselves. You know why they're, they're sitting by themselves? It's because they feel alone, but they don't want to be alone. Otherwise, they'd go to their car and leave. But, but they came to church today because they're looking for friendships and they're looking for relationships. This is what Peter is arguing. Hey, we need to show hospitality to each other. Invite them. Like, I'm not saying like you got to invite that person into your home right away, but like share, share a cup of coffee, share lunch, share dinner, share a meal together and, and show hospitality in that way. Show hospitality to each other. Uh, second, we, we're going to show hospitality to other churches uh, because here's what I need you to know is like other churches are really hurting right now. There's churches that are still figuring out um, where to meet and where to gather. On Tuesday, um, we had 15 pastors from this area um, gather together in our lobby and just sit and share with each other. Another, so, so Rise, we said, hey, we're going to host this. We get together quarterly. Another church, Cornerstone, said we're going provi- to show hospitality by providing lunch for all of them. And then we went around the circle and we shared our story of how we got into ministry. And the guy leading it, he just said, hey, I want us to remember the call because it's easy to forget right now. It's easy to forget why we are living this life that we're living in the midst of where we're at. And so we, we, we need to remember the call. And we get around the circle and we get two thirds of the way. And one guy just looks up and he's like, he's like I, didn't, I was not interested in coming today when I got this invite because normally when I show up at these things, it's just a contest where everybody's just measuring each other's churches and this and that. He's like, I'm experiencing like a brotherhood right now that I have not experienced in a long time. That's what radical hospitality is. And so we are gonna be a church. Like we are not gonna speak ill of the churches around us. If they believe in the gospel and follow Jesus, we're gonna spend eternity with them. They're on the same team, we're cheering them on. And we're gonna support and love as much as we can. Some, we've had people join Rise during this season because their church is not able to or not gathering. Like, I want you to be filled. I want you to be poured into. I want you to be encouraged. And if your church opens up and you're ready to go back, like, go back. Go be blessed, right? Like, like tell them the donut joke. I don't care. Whatever it is. Like, like bring the fruit from what you're experiencing. But also, like, in, maybe most importantly, we're going to show hospitality to outsiders, Here's the thing, like, I need you to know this, like, you can bring anybody to this church. Like, you can. I think I, if you've been coming for a little while, you know that. Like, no matter how much church background or experience they have, and we're going to teach them the way of Jesus, but we're also going to show them the love of Jesus. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter how they behave. Doesn't matter what they believe or, or, or think. Like, we're, we're actually in the process, we're working with architects right now, and I, and I, I shared this with a bunch of people, but, but we're, we're, the prime real estate of this whole building is that front corner. That's, that's the most seen spot. And from day one, we set, that, we set that aside for a coffee shop. And the reason being, 
We want you to invite people to come into our church, and they come into our church not even realizing they've come into a church. And now you can be like, you meet them there. You interact with them. It's a spot for our community. And then you can be like, hey, maybe some Sunday, like, let's walk through that door and walk into the presence of God's people. Like, like our prime real estate is set aside for outsiders. That's what hospitality means. That, that we would live in such a way that we invite the outsiders and we welcome unbelievers into our space in hopes of bringing Jesus into theirs. So as hope-filled people, we should be showing hospitality. And lastly, he says this, hope-filled people use their gifting. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of strength that God supplies. Here's what I need you to know. Believer, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit with a gift that goes beyond your natural abilities. But there's a purpose in that gift. It's to build up the brothers and sisters around you. You guys, we are not building a crowd. We're calling a church. And if you've been coming and you are a follower of Jesus and you just come and you sit on a Sunday and then you go out, consider this your invitation to come be the church, to use your gifts. Now, this idea of spiritual gifts, like it may be something that you're like, I, I, I don't even know a whole lot about. And so actually, we did a series a few years ago and we're gonna do a series, we're gonna, in January, we're gonna start this series again called Calling. Um, and, but there, there's a section on spiritual gifts. And so in, on the tables in between the seats, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll print more if we, we need them, there, there's just the spiritual gifts section. And what I would encourage you to do is to take that home. And it's just like, it, it's just you're replying to some answers, kind of getting some perspective and, and filling out. And, and then what you can do is you're going to have two or three that are like, man, these, these kind of stand out. Like, this is, this is unique. I see how God is moving in these ways. And then I want you to read the description of those. And then there's scriptures with those that explain them. And so put some time and some effort. And, you know, this is a, there's some of these teams that maybe are a little bit outdated, um, but, but the concept is still there of ways that you can be serving our church by using your gifts. But this is what Peter is arguing. He's saying, no, 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 like, you need to steward God's grace that he's given you, not hoard it. Not hide it, but you need to use it. And, 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 and he kind of breaks down there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. But the point of speaking gifts is that you're using your gift to proclaim God's message, not yours. Whether that be communication, whether that be prayer, you're, you're interceding on God's behalf as his people, as priests. And then if you're serving, you're serving out of the Spirit's strength, not your own. And, and let me just like say this, like some of you guys are really hard on yourselves. You're like, look, I have nothing to offer. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. Like, and I would just like to convict you to stop being so selfish and criticizing God's workmanship because that's who you are. And you don't get final say over that. God does. And so would you say, learn to be humble and say, God, you have gifted me in these ways. And so I want to offer them back to you for your goodness and for your glory. It is, that's, people ask me like, what's the biggest joy of pastoring? 
Um, for me, you know what it is? Is, is watching my church live in, live in their calling. Watching people rise up in a way that they never thought or imagined. This is why, like, even Sundays like today are so special for me when the young adult band comes up. Um, because I'm like, man, this is not a church where you wait your turn. <laughs> this is a church where you live your calling because the mission is way bigger than any of us. Like, we need to, like, eventually these barn doors need to be fully open on Sunday because we can't fit in here. Because we are showing hospitality to outsiders and we're using our gifts to reach our community. And lastly, to, to close, I just need you to understand that all of this is from Jesus and for Jesus. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is what Peter is saying. All of this, it's from Jesus. Self-controlled, it can only come from Jesus' gift of sending the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. Sober-minded means we're filling our minds with the truths from Jesus rather than lies of the world. Love earnestly. Jesus shows us what it means to love fully stretched out. Amen? That's how he loved us. Show hospitality while we were sinners, while we were strangers, while we were far away, while we were enemies of God. Jesus died for us, welcoming us into his father's house and family. And using and stewarding our gifts, our gifts come from Jesus to serve and to build his church. It's all from Jesus and it's all for Jesus. Our self-control, it's, it, Jesus is honored when you love his ways more than your ways. He's glorified when you live a self-controlled life. Sober-minded, Jesus is glorified when you listen to his voice over the voice of the world around you. Jesus is glorified and he's loved when we love those whom he died for. Jesus is lifted up when we welcome outsiders into his house and into his family. His kingdom is built when we use the gifts that he has given us. You guys, it's always been and will always be all about Jesus. It starts with him and it ends with him. And if he's on his throne and like if this is the end, like then today matters. So live with purpose. Live with love, live with hospitality, live with self-control, live with humility, and use your gifts to move the mission forward. Jesus, we are so grateful that you fill us with hope, that when we come to your word, it's not about condemnation, it's about conviction and call. Would we be a people who live with incredible purpose? Jesus would... Would you do this? Would you so move in our church that our city is never the same? Would you let us shine as a beacon of light saying the kingdom has something different and it comes through the messengers and so would we be messengers of hope living out our calling and our purpose with deep conviction to live differently than the world around us but loving it in the way that you love it. We're so grateful that you would call us and that you would send us. Would we do it in your spirit and in your power?